She speculated and sighed and shook her head helplessly. There was only one way to find out. She switched on the ignition and eased down the gradient, her mind washing clear of surmise. The cool notes of a Mozart concerto, a gentle and civilised comment on the elemental exuberance below. With every hundred feet that she descended, the country dropped a veil, not coyly, but with blatant carelessness. Miss Pink was reminded of other spires, other towers, of the Kioch, that great lizard's head on the Isle of Skye, all of which had remained unsuspected, although in full view, until one day the mist crept in behind the rock and threw the feature into prominence against its parent cliff. So her first impression of this land had been of a vast level, the second of a dissected plateau. Now, with the slipping of the veils, the slow drift down the mountain became a descent into fantasy, as butts and mesas, spires and tusks and incredible cliffs rose like slow magic. From above, she'd seen only the crevasses. As she dropped a thousand feet, two thousand, she realised that, in the same way that crevasses are separated by seracs, so these canyons, many of them, were bounded by reefs some of which were so thin that holes had been eroded in the mighty walls. She stopped and climbed down to stare upwards at one of these dizzy windows. At that moment, a dark form detached itself from the lintel and plunged towards her. She lost sight of it against the rock, but then, through the whisper of water close at hand, she heard a thin, angry chattering and a scream. In the space above her head, two shapes parted abruptly, one with a clumsy lurch, the other veering widely at high speed. A red-tailed hawk had come too close to the peregrine's eerie. She drove on silently. In the face of this land and all its promise, peregrines too, Mozart would be gilding the lily. Miss Pink didn't look the kind of person who used music as a background. Her eyes, behind the latest in designer spectacles, were extremely sharp, although she could assume a blank expression with ease. She looked like a solid, elderly lady, affluent, with her big jeep, the expertly layered grey hair, the man's Rolex on her wrist, the modern traveller in explorer trousers with bellows pockets and a mulberry polo shirt. On the maps covering the passenger seat was an old but serviceable straw hat. The road was running down a canyon with a full creek in the bottom, the banks lined with cottonwoods. The cloud cover was disintegrating, and as she came round a corner and emerged from the trees, she was blinded by the sun. But now, as the road continued to descend, the shadows lengthened. The sunlight climbed a wall to her right, until suddenly she was in a defile so black under both rock and trees that, panicking, she switched on her lights. She crept round a tight bend. The rock stood back. The wooded creek sparkled away to the left, and she was looking down a wide canyon below ranks of golden spires that walled it on the west, their crenellated shadow reaching across pastures that glowed like emeralds, across clusters of trees where, a culminating fantasy, smoke climbed lazily from shingled roofs. She had reached Salvation Canyon. 
she was surprised to feel relief. People lived in this wilderness. They built houses and worked the land, lit fires and cooked the evening meal. On her left, cattle grazed in lush grass. On the right, a notice was nailed to a post at the start of a track. Junk and whatever, it announced shakily. Underneath and attached to the same post, a smooth piece of driftwood had been neatly lettered in black and red. Paintings by Creed. At the end of the track was a low cabin. A small figure sat on the planks of the porch, immobile, watching the road. Miss Pink waved but got no response. She drove on, bound for the end of the road. When you reach the river, her landlord had said, you've gone too far. She wanted the Fawcett place, and that was at the mouth of the second side.